0: But let's uh, open up in our Bibles this morning. Uh, to we can start off in Matthew, chapter five. Begin there this morning. There are notes and pens there, and um, do have a PowerPoint to help us today again that a minute to wake up. I think it's awake. Let's see if it wants to come on here for us. I think I have a feeling it turned off on us. Okay. So, we have been looking at God's work through scriptures to reconcile all things to Himself. You remember, God has created this world. He has formed a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, to live in this world. And in the beginning, their eyes were constantly turned upon Him. Everything that they needed came from Him. God was delighted to pour out upon man His richest blessings. Think about that. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are there. And God, every day, is pouring out upon them His blessings, the best that He has to offer them upon this earth. And the chief blessing that they, shared, that they had was the love and the trust, the relationship that they shared with their Creator. Imagine that, God and man in perfect harmony. But, of course, the man and the woman chose to rebel against God. Because of their rebellion, God drove them out of the garden and he cast a curse upon them. They were blessed and now they lie under God's curse. They have been driven out and cursed by God, separated from him. But God's intention was to reconcile this world to himself. He planned to repair that relationship to reclaim humanity's love and trust. and He was doing all of this so that once again he could pour out upon them every blessing. To do this, God sent his Son into the world. And this is the first point that we have there. God accomplishes salvation or redemption in the person and work of his Son. What is this salvation? It's not merely that we get to go to heaven, it is that we get to go to heaven where God is, that we are reconciled and reunited with God, God and man dwelling together as one once again. And we have to begin with the fact that in the person of Jesus Christ, this redemption, this salvation has actually been fully accomplished. God and man in Jesus Christ are one. He is God and He is man. And together, in one person, we see redemption accomplished, as it were. The person of Christ itself speaks to us of the fact that in Christ, God has accomplished this redemption. For the first time in history, When Jesus walks upon this earth for the first time in history since the Garden of Eden, God looks down from heaven upon a human being, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says of that human being, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. God could not have said that of any human being since the Garden of Eden. But now he looks down upon a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and says, With you I am well pleased. Here is a man then, Jesus of Nazareth, who does not deserve God's penalty of death for sin. And so when the religious leaders crucify him, God raises him from the dead. He carries in himself upon the cross all the sins of mankind, and he succumbs to death because he carries that sin in himself. But death cannot keep him. The death that holds It's stranglehold over all of humanity. Ever since the garden, we have all been dying. But that death that reigns over all of us because of our sin cannot keep its hold upon Christ. God raises Christ from the dead. He vindicates Him. He declares to all of the world, all of the angels, all of human beings throughout all of history that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, did not deserve death in Himself. Instead, he was raised by God from the dead to declare to us that God's wrath against sin had been exhausted by him. He had carried our sin to the cross. and Now it had been dealt with so that he might once again live. And Jesus Christ then, after his resurrection, was taken up into the presence of God. And in that, the union between God and man is complete for the first time a human being steps into God's presence and is received this is what Jesus of Nazareth accomplished now in heaven a human being Jesus who partakes of our own human flesh stands glorified before the father in heaven and for the first time since the garden of eden god and human flesh inhabit the same space and there is no hostility it's a reconciliation that will never end redemption is complete in christ and now we want to look at several aspects of that what do we mean when we say that our salvation our redemption is accomplished in christ well look at matthew chapter 5 verse 17 in matthew chapter 5 verse 17 we see that god's law has been completely fulfilled christ says i did not do not think that i have come to abolish the law or the prophets have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. It wasn't that when Christ came, God said, all those laws that I gave the people in the Old Testament, those were way too hard for the people anyway. We'll just get rid of those. Christ did not come to abolish the law. Christ came to fulfill it. And he kept every one of the commandments of God in the Old Testament. God had said to his people in Deuteronomy, if you keep my commandments... You will receive my blessing. Christ has come. He has kept the commandments. He has secured for man God's blessing in the total fulfillment of the law. The second thing that we find out from Scripture is that when Christ died, He totally satisfied the wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. And here, Ami, if it's helpful for you, I've just put the page number. This is the page number for you in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, when Christ died, he totally satisfied the wrath of God against his people. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, he has no need, Jesus Christ has no need, like those high priests in the Old Testament, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. His sacrifices are not ongoing. They are not daily. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. God told us in the Old Testament that because of human sin, he had poured out his wrath upon human beings. And the only way that that wrath could be appeased, the only way that wrath could be satisfied and set aside was through the shedding of blood. And so for the entire Old Testament, God dictated that animals must shed their blood upon Jewish altars. And that happened daily, as a reminder that those sacrifices, the writer writer of the Hebrew says, those sacrifices did not actually take away the sins. But Jesus Christ comes. He offers one sacrifice for all time. in the offering of His sacrifice, God's wrath has been satisfied. And thus, redemption is accomplished through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we see that He was raised. Chapter 4 of Romans, page 549. Jesus Christ was raised for our justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Paul says that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, and He was raised for our justification. He was resurrected that we might be justified. What is the connection between Christ's resurrection and our justification, our being declared righteous before God? The Scripture tells us that the wages, the penalty for our sin is death, condemnation. We sin, we are condemned to die. The reversal of our condemnation, of our death, is life. When God raises a man from the dead, He is saying to us, that man does not deserve condemnation. He is saying that man does not deserve to die. He is saying to us instead, that man deserves to be vindicated. That man deserves to be justified. There is nothing that he is worthy of death for. And so in raising Christ from the dead, God justified him. Human beings said, this is a man worthy of death. He has blasphemed the name of God. He is a sinner. God says, no, I raise him from the dead. The penalty for sin does not apply to him because he is not a sinner. God raises him from the dead and vindicates him. And yet Romans tells us that he was raised not for his justification, but for ours. And so, in raising Christ from the dead, God is declaring us righteous who are in Him. And so, in the resurrection of Christ, our redemption has been accomplished. Number four, we have been reconciled to God by the death of Christ. Page 549. This is going to be just across the page for you, Army. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Notice what it says. While we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of God's Son. In other words, before we even came to Christ, we had been reconciled. While we were still enemies, God reconciled us by the death of his Son. When Jesus died upon the cross, he wrought reconciliation for all whom God had joined to him in eternity past. And lastly, we see, I'm sorry, second to last, we see that sinners have been redeemed out of every nation by Christ and His work. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, which is on page 596. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Those who are in heaven, Revelation 5, 9, they sing a new song, saying... You, O Lamb of God, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. When Jesus Christ was crucified, he redeemed sinners for God out of every nation. Upon this whole earth, there were sinners. And in the death of Christ, sinners are snatched out of the throng. They are set upon the road of eternal life. God has ransomed sinners, or Christ has ransomed sinners, persons, people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And because of that, He is worthy to take the scroll. And this is why, when Christ died, just before He offered up His Spirit to God in death upon the cross, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it is finished. It is accomplished. Redemption is complete. He wrought a full atonement for us. And then He bows His head and gives up His Spirit. And so, in Christ, our redemption is, is complete. God has accomplished redemption, salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But how does that salvation become the possession of specific human beings? How do we access it? How does that salvation, that redemption, how does it become mine? And the answer to that question is, through union with Christ. God has accomplished redemption in Christ. It's as though Christ is a vast powerhouse now of salvation. He is an able Savior. But just as a home is not energized, there is no electricity available in the home from the grid unless one is connected to the power lines, so too we are not partakers of this redemption until we are united to Christ. God has performed all the work that is necessary to reconcile the world to himself in the person and work of Christ. And so in Christ, salvation is prepared and waiting. It is ready. And the scriptures tell us that when we began to believe and trust in Christ for our life, for our all, God united us to Him. Christians speak of the idea of union with Christ. And this idea is actually the central teaching of the entire New Testament. If you wanted to summarize the entire New Testament in one phrase, it would be this. Salvation is in union with with Christ, That is the summation of the entire New Testament. It's, it's like the webbing that holds all of the pieces together. Think about all of these pieces of the New Testament, passages and, and terms and ideas and people and God's work and man and faith. And all of this is held together around one theme. It all hangs from one peg, and that is our union with Christ. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to see this in summary form 1 Corinthians chapter 1 page 555 1 Corinthians chapter 1 we'll look at verse 30 redemption is applied to us through our union with Christ 1 Corinthians 1:30 we'll start with verse 29 just to get the context God has done all that He has done. He has brought salvation to us in the way that He has. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, that's because of God, because of God's work, you are in Christ Jesus, who, Christ Jesus, has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, And redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Notice, first of all, who the actor is in this verse. Who is acting in this verse? Do we do anything? According to this verse, God is the actor, and we will develop that idea next week. God has done something, and what has he done? What is his... What, what, or who has he performed his action towards? Who is the recipient of God's work? Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And what action has God performed? The action he has performed is uniting us to Christ. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. We are united to him. And the effect of this union is that Christ now has become our wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Do we need righteousness? Do we need sanctification? Do we need redemption? We do. And where is it? It is in Christ. And how do we access it? We access it by God's work to join us to Jesus Christ. And once we are in Christ, this realm Christ where God has worked out this salvation by by including us in Christ. Now all that Christ is, this salvation that He has wrought, all that He is becomes ours. Justification, righteousness, sanctification, holiness, redemption from sin. Let's examine this statement carefully here, what Paul says. He tells us that believers are now in Christ Jesus. And because they are, all that He is has become theirs. God requires righteousness. He requires holiness. And we must be redeemed because of our slavery to sin. All of these things are in Christ. And we access them as God unites us to him. He becomes for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now these ideas can be a little hard to understand. What is it that we are in Christ so that all that He is becomes ours? And the picture that the New Testament gives us is the picture of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, we won't turn there, you know this. The relationship that Christ bears to His church is likened to the relationship between a husband and a wife. So think of this idea of union with Christ like a marriage. What happens when two people are married? The answer that Genesis chapter 2 gives us is that the two become one. They are united together. They live in the same house. They share a bank account. They become the parents of the same children. They are joined together, and that union means that they share one another's assets and liabilities. If the husband suddenly becomes ill and can't work anymore, his illness becomes a liability for his wife. And she'll have to get a job. Otherwise, the family will sink into poverty. His loss is her loss as well. If the husband amasses a a huge retirement fund, he's got all this money in the bank. for when he retires, the wife partakes of that as well. She receives the benefits of all that he has in his bank account. And that's what union with Christ is like. We, in ourselves, are poor, miserable sinners. We have no righteousness in ourselves. We owe God an infinite debt. But if God joins us to Christ, all that Christ is becomes ours. All of our liabilities become His. Paul says that, that God has placed all of our sins upon Christ, and this is why He died, because He carried in Himself our liabilities. And all that He is, all of... His benefits become ours. The union is that close. Just listen to a couple of verses here that I will read to you. There's no need to turn. I have put them up here on the screen. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Because Christ is God's Son, He is the heir of all things, just as a son is the heir of His Father's estate. But now that we are in Christ, i.e. because we have been united to him, we have obtained this inheritance also. Listen to Galatians 2:20. Christ was crucified and Paul says, I'm united to him so that I have been crucified with him. Paul has been united to Christ and that means that when Christ was crucified, Paul died as well. Listen to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore there is There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In ourselves, we deserve to die. And wicked men condemned Christ. But God gave him life again, showing that God did not condemn him. And so because we are in Christ, even though we deserve condemnation, we are not condemned. There is no condemnation from God for us because we are in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's Son. And through Him, we are now also sons of God. These verses show us that because of God's work to unite us to Christ, all that is true of Christ is, is now also true of us. For example, God does not condemn Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are also not condemned. Christ expects to receive an inheritance, an inheritance of all things. And because we are in Him, we expect the same inheritance to fall to us as well. Christ was crucified. And because we are in Him, we have been crucified with Him. Paul says, There is so much delightful news that you will find in your Bible as you find out all that Christ is because you are united to Him. You are a follower of Christ and all that He is now has become yours. And there are dozens and dozens of benefits we enjoy because God has united us to Christ. What a happy truth this is. In fact, all of our... Life now, as Christians, is lived in Christ. Just look at what the Scripture says to us about this. The Scripture tells us in the New Testament that we are blessed in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. We have died with Christ. We live with, we have been buried with Christ. We live with Christ. Now my clicker is not, we've been raised with Christ. We have ascended with Christ. We reign with Christ. We are glorified in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ, rooted and built up in Christ. We have been taught in Christ. We are guarded in Christ. We are led in triumph in Christ. We possess boldness in Christ. We have access to God in Christ. We are believers in Christ Jesus. We've been found spotless in Christ, preserved in Christ, saved in Christ, perfected in Christ. All of our ways as Christians are in Christ Jesus. Our faith is in Christ. Our love is in Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We hope in Christ. We manifest good behavior in Christ. We labor in Christ. We suffer in Christ. Sorrow in Christ. Rejoice in Christ. Conquer in Christ. We, where's the PowerPoint here? Triumph in Christ. We receive one another in Christ. Wives submit in Christ. Children obey in Christ. We do all in the name of Christ. We die in Christ. We sleep in Christ. We appear in Christ. We reign in glory with Christ. And Paul concludes in Romans 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, You are in Christ Jesus. Our entire life as Christians is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is our life. And it's important for us to pause at this point and to notice that if this union were somehow severed, if we were somehow separated from Christ, all the benefits all of the life that we experience because we are in Christ would disappear instantly. The benefits we enjoy because we are united to Christ do not belong to us because of us. Rather, they are ours only because they belong to Christ and we are in Him. In other words, God does not condemn us only because He does not condemn Jesus Christ. If we were not connected to Christ, God would condemn us because in ourselves, we deserve to be condemned. We are condemnable. And the only reason God does not condemn us is that we are united to Christ and He cannot condemn His Son. The only reason we expect an inheritance from God is not that we deserve an inheritance somehow or that we work really hard and now deserve it. It is because Christ is the Son of God and we are God's children through Him. And God has promised an inheritance to His Son. And because of that, we now expect to receive the inheritance. And we ought to pause at this point and consider how precious Christ is to us. He is our life. Everything that we have from God is ours because we are united to Him. And this is what Paul means in Ephesians chapter 1 when he encourages us to bless God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this will be our third point this morning. In Christ, we have all the blessings that Adam lost as a result of his sin. And we have even more than Adam possessed in Christ Jesus. So let's turn to Ephesians 1 as we conclude this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, it's on page 567. Ephesians chapter 1, and the first thing that we will notice regarding the blessings that we have in Christ is that we possess every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And here comes some of those blessings. Do you ever bless God and praise Him for these things that He has done for you? Verse 4, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Verse 5, In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved Son. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. We know God's will for the ages in Christ Jesus. His plan was for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Paul says every spiritual blessing that God could pour out upon you, you have, you already have it. If you are in Christ Jesus not only do we possess every spiritual blessing in Christ but we are heir of heirs of all things in Christ look at Romans chapter 8 verse 17 page 550 if you are in Christ this is what is true of you verse 16 Romans 8 verse 16 The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, if children, then we are heirs. Are not children heirs of their parents' wealth? If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are heirs of all that God possesses, and that is everything. And Christ himself is God's heir and we are fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Everything that God possesses, Christ will receive. And everything that Christ will receive, we stand to inherit as well. Thirdly, Because we are in Christ, whatever we ask in prayer, we will receive. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, page 526. John 16. In that day, Christ says, John 16, 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father... In my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Imagine Christ coming to the Father and saying to him, O oh Father, I wish to have such and such. And the Father saying, No, I will not grant that to you. Will Christ ever be turned away from the Father when he makes a request of his Father? No, everything that Christ requests of the Father, he will be granted. And Christ says, now you ask in my name. You come to the Father as though I myself were coming to the Father. You come in my name and ask of the Father. And all that you ask in my name, it will be granted to you. Ask and you will receive, Christ says. And finally, in Christ Jesus, not only do we have every spiritual blessing, not only are we heir of all things, not only may we hope that whatever we ask in prayer, in Christ's name, we will receive, but finally all things, everything is ours in Christ Jesus. Look at page 550, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, along with giving us Christ, how shall he not also graciously give us all things? Everything is ours in Christ. And that goes two different ways. First of all, that means that we are rich in Christ Jesus. The second thing that that means is that everything that we have comes to us because of Christ Jesus. The blessing of gathering together with other believers. This is ours in Christ Jesus. The opportunity to work a job and to make money to provide for myself. Why do you have that opportunity? Unbelievers have that opportunity, but they have it because they must go to work and slave under the curse of God to obtain what they need. In Christ Jesus, you work the job that you do because it is God's means of providing for you as a loving, heavenly Father. The opportunity to read the Scripture. Why do we possess this Scripture? Is it because we somehow deserve to have a copy of God's Word? No, God has given it to us because we are His little children in Christ Jesus. Everything that we have in our lives is ours because of Christ. God has given us all things in Christ Jesus. He has truly become for us wisdom from God's righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And this means just a couple of things for us as we conclude this morning. First of all, it means that all salvation is in Christ Jesus. We are saved. We are redeemed only because we are in Christ Jesus. Every blessing is ours in Christ. We need look no further than Christ for all that we need for life. The second thing this means is that to accomplish this salvation, God has united us to His Son. And thus our union with Christ is our salvation. If that union were somehow severed, we would lose our salvation. Union with Christ is how God saves us. All that God does in uniting us to Christ is his work for our salvation. Third, this means that our entire lives as Christians are lived in union with Christ. For a Christian to think of himself as possessing life, And as living his life apart from Christ is an outrageous thought, our entire life is in Christ. We live in a new world. I wish there was some way of drawing a picture of this. When God created the world, he created Adam and Eve, and all of humanity has descended from them. We are a race of human beings who have descended from Adam. And all that Adam did is ours now. He sinned against God. He rebelled. Now we carry the guilt of that. We carry the penalty for Adam's sin. We, we possess his own nature. And we are destined for the same destiny that he reached, death. All of us are in Adam. And because of that, the trajectory of this world is down, down, down for death. But at the midpoint of history, in 33 AD, when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, it was the beginning of a new world. It was the beginning of a new humanity. It was the beginning of a new race. It was the beginning of a new human race. And that race in Christ Jesus, its trajectory begins at the midpoint of history, and God unites his people to Christ and because of that, the trajectory of their life is upward only. It is toward eternal life. There are two human races on the planet today there is the race in Adam, and there is the race in Christ. One race, their trajectory, their destination is death, separation from God. And from that human race, God reaches down and he picks up individuals. He claims sinners out of the throng and he unites them to Christ. And now there is a new human race in Christ. And their destiny is eternal life. We live in a new world. We are no longer citizens of this world. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness so that now we live in the kingdom of God's dear Son. We are members of a new human race. We are destined for a new creation. And this race is in Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Every day that we live our lives, we live them in Christ Jesus. And this means that everything is different. As I mentioned earlier, we go to work. We work a job. Why? Is it because the burden of providing for ourselves falls upon us? Or does not our union with Christ transform our work? So that it is not a burden to be born whereby God expects us to provide for ourselves. Instead, it is God's means of faithfully caring for His creatures. He grants us strength in Christ. He grants us ability in Christ. He grants us a job because of Christ for His sake. He grants us a salary, a paycheck because of Christ. We do not deserve this. We deserve only death. And that is the destination of every unbeliever who works a job. But for us, we work a job in Christ. It's God's means of providing for us. And our destination is eternal glory because of Christ Jesus. So our entire Christian life is lived in Christ. We are members of Christ. And the final note that we'll end on, that we'll develop next week, is this. How outrageous it is then. For a believer to think that he could live his life upon this earth separated from the people of God. Not a member of Christ's body. If all that we possess is in Christ, and being in Christ is being united to him as a member of his body, then living as a member of his body has got to be our greatest pursuit. That is where life happens for a Christian. It happens as a member of Christ's body. Let's pray about these things and then we will sing once again. Not what these hands have done. It's not in us. It is in Christ that all of our life is. All of these benefits and blessings. All right. let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for sending us your Son. Lord, if it were up to